Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fits on Fantasy. I'm Patrick Morris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And joining me now is my Fantasy Pros colleague, Bo McRae. He also does work for us at Betting Pros, where his golf recommendations have consistently been making money for people this year. Bo also contributes to IBT Media, including his work on the 19th Hole Live podcast. And he is my trusty tag team partner on the massive weekly waiver wire article that Fantasy Pros puts out first thing Monday morning during the NFL season. And last but not least, Bo McBrayer is the maker of Hot Box Gourmet Hot Sauce, which is heavenly stuff. In fact, I'm getting three bottles of it shipped to me this week. Find him on Twitter at Bo underscore McBigTime. Welcome, Bo. Thanks for coming back. I, it's a pleasure to be back. I, I really enjoy the show myself um, as a, a regular listener of the pod, and it's it's great to be back with you, Fitz, and talk all sorts of things. Thanks, buddy. Um, before we dig in, tell people where they can go to order the hot sauce, because it is truly amazing stuff. Yeah, I got your order. I'm ready to pack it up and get it to you pretty quick. And uh, it's at bigtimeflavor.co. That's bigtimeflavor.co. And it's not just the gourmet hot sauce. It's actually four unique seasoning blends as well. I have a taco seasoning, a barbecue rub, an all-purpose seasoning blend, and a Nashville hot seasoning blend. And you can get the whole bundle with the hot sauce and the four seasoning blends uh, for, for a discount if you buy all of them in a bundle. Now, we're mostly going to talk football on the show, but we will talk a little cooking with Bo later, too, and maybe some yes, other sir. stuff as well. So as we record the show, Bo, on Monday, March 27th, we are still awaiting the seemingly inevitable trade of Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers to the New York Jets. I kind of think it's going to happen this week. I can feel it in my bones. And when this deal officially does happen and Rodgers officially becomes a Jet, what kind of fantasy value do you think he has? Well, hopefully he returns to the type of form that we saw in 2021 when he had some viable receivers. Uh, he had a really rough go of it, had a broken thumb midway through the season last year. Uh, some young and inexperienced receivers, they were in and out of good health. Uh, it, was, it was a rocky season for him last year. I don't think his actual ability diminished one bit, but... Every, every once in a while, you get a, a great player that has a bad season, and the Jets are well-built. They are truly a quarterback away with the defense the way it played. Their their coaching staff is really good. Um, the one thing that I can't say for certain is that the Nathaniel Hackett is a decent enough offensive coordinator for Rodgers. I mean, it seems like uh, Rodgers is going along with that, but it's not as much of a draw as a lot of people built it up to be. Yeah, and uh, the one thing that kind of concerns me with Hackett being Rodgers' OC this time is that when they were together in Green Bay from 2019 to 2021 when Hackett was the offensive coordinator there, in terms of seconds per play, the Packers ranked 28th, 32nd, and 32nd in those three seasons. They moved at a glacial pace. So, um, you know, not only that, yeah, and when you're – running an offense at such a glacial pace, plus the Jets have this killer defense. I'm just worried like there's going to be, uh, you know, no urgency, no shootout potential with Rodgers. So I'm, I'm just 
kind of worried that he's not going to be put in a position where he's going to need to have 300 yard games. You know what I mean? I, I get that exactly. And, and I'm speaking more of like, as a, from putting my scouting hat on, I don't think his performance is going to diminish, but his fantasy stats, if you're looking to roster Aaron Rodgers going forward as a New York jet, you have to have realistic expectations because even though it's really exciting that he gets an alpha receiver back in the form of Garrett Wilson, uh, the rest of those receivers are pretty bad and they're probably going to lean on the run game a lot more than people think too, especially when you get Brees Hall back uh, along with the two other running backs that they have under contract, Michael Carter and now Ty Johnson's back under contract. Uh, This is going to be a run heavy team that's going to put Aaron Rodgers in a position to win games. Fantasy wise, though, I probably won't touch it at at a current ADP or even anywhere close to it. Yeah, just the trade and the new scenery is going to rekindle interest in Rodgers. And, uh, you know, I just don't know if it's a situation for him to really smash this year. Um, Since you mentioned Garrett Wilson, what do you see as like a median outcome for Wilson this year with Rodgers as his quarterback? That's the one thing that I can say will improve as far as fantasy wise. Garrett Wilson was held back. He was completely held down by a quarterback play last year, and he was still really good as a rookie. Uh, That's a special, special talent. And because the talent in the receiving core beside Garrett Wilson is just bereft of talent, it's completely talentless right now, except for Garrett Wilson is I think Aaron Rodgers returns to that 2021 pepper, the alpha and, in 21, it was obviously Devontae Adams. But Garrett Wilson, Devontae Adams cut from the same cloth. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of targets for Garrett Wilson and a lot of production. So wheels up on Garrett Wilson. But everybody else in that offense, maybe beside Brees Hall, I'm steering clear. Yeah. Um, on the flip side with the Packers, how optimistic are you that Jordan Love can become a useful fantasy asset as Green Bay's new starter? Like, I'm pretty pessimistic because... I don't. I don't know. I, uh, you're right. I've I've uh, griped about Jordan Love plenty of times before. And granted, like, you know, we don't have a lot to go on with him. But I was just, I didn't love him as a prospect. And he was terrible in his one NFL start back in 2021 when Rodgers had COVID and Love had to start against the Chiefs. But, you know, again, I mean, not much to go on here. So maybe I'm just letting, like, one result uh, skew my one result plus the the predisposition not to like Jordan Love when we traded up to get him in the first round in 2020. Well, and uh, and you know, from he, your perspective as a fan of the team, I can see where you you already see him as the worst pick in NFL draft history, where you <laughs> traded up for a guy you didn't even need and he wasn't that good. Right, uh, he's coming from the Mountain West, which already takes a huge leap. Uh, in game speed. And then you're stuck behind Aaron Rodgers, who uh, probably wasn't the greatest mentor to his development. Uh, to be honest, I was I was kind of on him as a prospect as a junior. And as, as he went closer to the, I mean, that was a loaded quarterback class. And he was, he paled in comparison to the other three in that class that went in the first round. And it's still the case that those three guys all carved out meaningful Pro Bowl level status pretty much right off the bat. And Jordan Love, when he was given little glimpses of opportunity, looked awful. 
And I think on the flip side, we're going to see a, a markup on Jordan Love as soon as that trade goes down that is going to trick a lot of people into using him. And it's bad because it's only because of the, the long touchdown he had to Watson last year and the long touchdown he had to DeGuara last year. Uh, those two plays kind of left a little sweetness for somebody to maybe have some hope in Jordan Love. And I don't know that he will last as a starter more than a few games. Yeah, I mean, that's my fear, too. So I'm, I guess I'm not the only one pessimistic about it. I'm just, you know, pessimistic, pessimistic from a homer point of view. Um, but you are pretty gimlet eyed on this, too. And I'm sort of reassured that you kind of see it the same way I do. Um, now, Bo, I thought it was possible that Elijah Moore would go to the Packers in an Aaron Rodgers deal, but that's not going to happen because the Jets traded Elijah Moore to the Browns last week. They also gave up a late-ish third-round pick along with Moore to get an early-ish second-round pick. Are you optimistic that the trade of the Browns is going to reinvigorate Elijah Moore? Yes, I love Elijah Moore. That guy is so talented. And all over his tape last year was him running wide open, dominating, getting open in, in, in every position, X, X, Y, Z slot, wherever they put him, whatever route he was running, he was winning. He was getting wide open and they just couldn't get him the ball. And for whatever reason, he and uh, Matt LaFleur did not see eye to eye, or Mike LaFleur did not see eye to eye. LaFleur yanked him off the field multiple times. Elijah Moore is uber uber mega talented he is an alpha in the making and because he's a little bit of a of a live wire personality wise he's not going to see eye to eye with a lot of offensive coaches but i have a feeling this browns team's going to start airing the ball out with deshaun watson amari cooper's up there in age i don't know that we're going to see last year's amari cooper this year because it was more of a surprise last year than anything that he still had that much left in the tank I think Elijah Moore could be the, the wide receiver one on this team in 23 and onward because he's still really young and really talented. Wow. Um, yeah, man, I pretty much agree with everything you just said, except maybe, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little higher on Amari Cooper than you are, perhaps. But I, I still think it's a good landing spot, especially if um, Deshaun Watson is a little bit more like the Deshaun Watson we became accustomed to when he was with the Texans. Um, but man, like, this guy is a gamer, so I can understand his frustration um, of playing with Zach Wilson last year and not getting the ball nearly as much as he wanted to. Um, yeah, and obviously that spilled over with Mike LaFleur and you know Moore's demands for a trade. But we saw how good he was in that stretch during his rookie season when he was the wide receiver two for like a, a five or six week period. We saw it certainly in his junior year at Ole Miss when he was averaging like 150 yards a game. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad he's got a fresh start with the Browns. Cause yeah. And um, it's, it's a really nice landing spot because really if, if we're talking about what 28, 29 year old Amari Cooper is going to be your presumed wide receiver one, even though he's a flanker, he's not an X. So you might even see uh, Donovan people Jones get competed with at X for, with Elijah Moore, but more likely this spells the end, a quick end to the, the upside of David Bell uh, in the slot for, for Cleveland. Uh, Elijah Moore can dominate wherever they put him. 
so Donovan Peoples Jones is on notice at the X position, and especially David Bell in the slot is definitely on notice in camp. Uh, wherever they decide to put Elijah Moore as far as most of their play packages are concerned. Oh yeah, man. And I was a David Bell advocate a year ago, but Me um, too. I was playing taps for him when I saw this trade <laughs> go through because that pretty yep. much spells the end of his opportunity in Cleveland. I think I um, believe so. Let's talk about another wide receiver on the move. Bo, you're a Northern California guy. Uh, Brandon Cooks is a fellow NorCal guy. How do you think Brandon Cooks is going to fare with the Dallas Cowboys? Like, is CeeDee Lamb too big a star for us to hope for low-level wide receiver two production from Cooks? I don't think Cooks is that guy anymore. But at the same time, he fills a really, really desperate need for the Cowboys on the outside. Uh, They were completely without speed and field-stretching ability. Brandon Cooks brings 4-3 speed on the outside that they haven't had in years. Uh, Cooper was nice. He was a guy that can win vertically, but he wasn't a speed burner either. Uh, this is Gallup isn't a speed guy. He's just he's more of your just kind of get open and make contested catches and red zone scoring. So Cooks fills a need for the team. Fantasy-wise, it's a one-year audition. I'm not expecting him to be in Dallas in 2024. But this is this is a move where the Cowboys saw a hole in their offense last year, and they filled it with a really capable talent. Uh, Brandon Cooks is going to have some big, big games next year. I just don't know that if he's gonna he's gonna be more than a viable asset in anything other than best ball. Uh, he's gonna have some really big games, but uh, trying to pick up which one which one that's gonna come in is gonna be really hard because he's gonna be a boomer bust guy in my opinion. Yeah, I kind of think so, too. I mean, he used to be a pretty steady dude, but this kind of reminds me, it's funny, like going back almost 30 years, it reminds me like Michael Irvin and Alvin Harper. And I think C.D. Lamb is definitely the Michael Irvin here and uh, not perfect comps as far as as play style or anything like that. But, um, you know, Cook is going to be that Harper who does have the splash games, but, uh, you know, is clearly like second fiddle. While we're on Northern California as a topic, Bo. What is your take on the 49ers quarterback situation now? Um, we just had news that, you know, it's going to be an open competition, but, uh, you know, they're basically admitting that their thumb is on the scale for Brock Purdy if he's healthy. It's just wild. I, I honestly don't know why they picked Trey Lance, uh, why they traded up so much to get a guy they didn't want to play. Uh, they they kept Jimmy G that ticked Trey Lance off justifiably. I mean, if you spent that much draft capital on a guy, then he should be in waiting for to be the starter pretty much immediately. And whether or not he was ready, that was he was injured, and then and then he played one game in a monsoon. He played he threw three passes before he broke his ankle, and that was it. And now we're saying, oh, it's Brock Purdy's job. Well. Of course it is, because we haven't seen what Trey Lance is. I think he's an awesome football player. From every everything that I did when I was scouting him last year, or the year before last, that dude can play some football. He's going to be a spectacular quarterback down the road. Whenever he gets a, another chance, he's going to show out. He's going to make the 49ers really regret that pick. They're already regretting doing what they did. 
but that that team didn't even need a quarterback. To be honest, they could have thrown a newborn baby back there in that system and done just fine with the defense and the weapons and the offensive line that they have. There's no reason to draft a quarterback that high in that system. And I think they have a little bit of remorse. And Brock Purdy is plenty capable of running that offense because if Brock Purdy can do it after what I saw him do at Iowa State, anybody can do it. Brock Purdy is nothing special. There's absolutely nothing special about Brock Purdy, but he led them to the NFC Championship game. I think Trey Lance could have led them to a Super Bowl win where they just steamrolled everybody, but we'll never know. Uh, looks like they're going to tr- to field trade offers for him. And because we haven't seen what he can do at the NFL level, I don't think they're going to get very good value for him. Right. That's it. If they sell him now, it's going to be for pennies on the dollar. and Which is um, just dumb. I don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> it really is strange. And like that they made that trade and that they clearly weren't committed to Trey Lance at the time. Cause remember all the smoke about them possibly wanting to take Mac Jones there. And everyone was sort of aghast that they would consider taking Mac Jones <laughs> over Trey Lance. And, but I mean, like there was enough heat to that rumor and it was persistent enough that there, like there had to be some fire behind that smoke. And yeah, um, they got fleeced. Yeah. <laughs> they got fleeced in that trade. Basically that's, that's yeah. all I heard from there is, they immediately regretted trading up to three because they immediately found out that Mac Jones was still going to be there at nine where they were before. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of like the Steelers last year where they took Kenny Pickett in the first round and, and really nobody was on him in the first round. And so they, the, the rest of the league just said, okay, have at it. That's your, that's your first round pick. Go for it. Have fun. And I think the rest of the league looked at the 49ers moving up from nine to three and taking Trey Lance. It's like, all right, go ahead. We're not going to stop you. Now, what's really going to be a trip, Bo, is if uh, Brock Purdy isn't ready to return on time. I don't think there's any way he's ready for week one. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it with this kind of an injury. Um, And like if Sam Darnold winds up starting week one, if, if the 49ers tap Sam Darnold to be the guy. If Sam Darnold can't perform in this system, then Sam Darnold is ultimately one of the worst top five picks ever. Yeah, and not that I am totally wanting the crap on on Sam Darnold. Like I think he he had his moments. I mean, he's clearly not going to live up to his uh, draft status. But um, yeah, I mean, like. A decent hedge for the 49ers in case Purdy isn't ready. But, man, I mean, just like such a slap in the face to Trey Lance. Like we we need something else in case That's Purdy isn't is. ready. Cause it we seems don't like everybody's slapping quarterbacks in the face these days. <laughs> Let's stay on the 49ers for a minute, Bo. I'm perplexed at how to value Debo Samuel. Like the Fantasy Pros expert consensus rankings have him at wide receiver 16 for redraft and wide receiver 19 dynasty i don't necessarily love the target outlook for debo with in-house competition from brandon Ayuk, george kittle christian mccaffrey but debo is just so outrageously good with the ball in his hands and kyle shanahan does seem committed to getting debo touches whether it's in the passing game or the running game approximately where would you rank debo for 2023 and redraft well in 13 games, he had 150 fantasy points last year. That was wide receiver 40 in PPR. 
uh, I think in a points per game basis, it was slightly better in the like wide receiver two range. And this is a lot of diminishing returns. This is the man who's going to be 27, almost 28 by the end of the season. And he's got a very extensive, serious injury history. He plays a position that's catered to his skill set, which isn't always going to put his health in the, at the top of at the forefront. Uh, so I'm not touching him anywhere near his ADP because as good of a football player as he is, nobody's debating that Debo Samuel is an awesome football player. But I think for fantasy purposes, he's an avoid for me because at his price, you're definitely not going to get bang for your buck, especially in that range where there's so many talented running backs and wide receivers that you can load up on that are a lot younger, that don't have injury concerns, and can do just about the same thing and probably score more fantasy points. Yeah, that's fair. Um, as much as I do love watching that dude with the ball in his hands, um, yeah, that just overlooks some of the realities of his situation. Um, Bo, you wrote an article for us in early January that discussed some of last year's rookies. And you mentioned that Damian Pierce runs angry and that his running style might not bode well for Damian Pierce's longevity. Now, it seems to me that Damian Pierce is being undervalued in redraft and dynasty based on the rankings and early ADP data I've seen. Would you agree or disagree with that? Um, I think it's fair. I think the concerns are fair because I don't, I'm not saying that we're concerned about his injuries at this point. Even in dynasty, I'm looking at two or three years out. I'm looking at the the Houston draft capital. I'm looking at all the holes that they're going to fill in this draft. And I think running back is going to be one of them. They're not going to go into the season with just Damian Pierce as a featured ball carrier. Uh, we saw him hit a plateau towards the end of last season where he was awesome the first 10 games. And then he was very pedestrian the rest of the season. Uh, this is the, it's kind of not really health related. It's more like just gas tank related. He didn't get very many touches at Florida, whether or not that was a good idea for Florida to run, uh, run the cut. Uh, can't even think of his name on the Cowboys now, but uh, they, they were in a timeshare and Damian Pierce only got 110 touches last season or the year before last at Florida. And so I think it was a gas tank thing is as good as he is, on a per touch basis at breaking tackles and doing all these things, he's still a decimal running back. He's still not going to get you any receiving production. You're going to have to score fantasy points through yardage bonuses and hopefully touchdowns. But I, I still think that the Texans are going to add somebody of value at the running back position in the draft. And that's going to take away even more of Damian Pierce's upside. And I want to, I, I love watching him play again. He's a lot like Debo Samuel where you watch him play and it's fun. It's fun to watch a football player with that kind of mentality where he's, he runs angry and he won the angry run that Peter Schrager does. So, I mean, that's, it, it came, it came to fruition. He reminded me of Marion Barber. And that was, that was kind of what happened is he, he ran angry. He entertained us for a while. And then, it just kind of fizzled out, and I don't know how long that excitement's going to last with Pierce, but um, I think his ADP is actually fair. Okay, yeah. Um, and by the way, it was Malik Davis was Malik, one of the guys yeah. he shared that backfield with, but it was also Emory Jones who was the leading rusher for Florida that year. So it was strange. Yeah, that was the the quarterback they threw out there instead of Anthony Richardson. 
Yeah, Dan Mullen with some interesting personnel choices for Florida. <laughs> and um, you just wonder, like, maybe Pierce did hit the wall because he wasn't used to being a workhorse at all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of hoping that, like, Devin Singletary is the meat shield who keeps the <laughs> Texans from, you know, Ugh. dipping into the running back pool before the sixth or seventh round. But I realize it's probably <laughs> yeah, a small, know, slow man. running back who can't catch. That's not going to that's not going to shield much. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. But let's go off ta- topic. It's Masters week uh, coming up and uh, next week. Anyway, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you're a golf guy. You follow the tour carefully. You bet on golf. You play golf yourself. Who do you like at Augusta? Who are you betting? So I already put some bets, some futures on Scotty Scheffler a few weeks ago because I was getting pretty good odds on him. That's those those are long gone. The odds on Scotty Scheffler are pretty short these days because he's a very high likelihood of repeating and winning another green jacket this year. He's just perfectly made for Augusta National. Um, I like Scotty as an outright winner, but maybe at, unless you find some better odds out there that I've found recently. Uh, maybe go for one of these. I, I have. A, I just have this weird feeling that one of three live guys is going to contend here and shock the world because we haven't heard from them or seen much of them since they committed to the other tour. But there's three guys on the live tour that I think could very well win the Masters, and they're getting no respect in the sports books. Uh, start with Cam Smith, the Australian, uh, who won the players last year. Uh, absolutely phenomenal short game. Uh, he's one of the best players in the world inside of 100 yards. Wedge play, putting play is just spot on. And then uh, Patrick Reed, everybody hates him. He's not a likable person at all. He cheats. He does everything that people hate. He sues everybody on Christmas. Uh, but he's another guy that shows up to Augusta every year and plays ball. He's a gamer. And no matter how much everybody hates him, he's still really good at golf. And then, of course, Dustin Johnson. DJ is going to be a monster at Augusta because he's a bomber that can hit accurate shots and take over a course with his length. And so those three guys are the three guys that I'd be betting on closer to the tournament because, again, the sports books are not giving the live guys any respect because they're really not on the four. They're not on the tip of our tongue. We're, we're t- always talking about tour PGA Tour guys because we're seeing them every week on TV, on ESPN Plus, doing all those things. And they're they're getting inflated while the guys that are probably going to come in and, and impress are getting no respect with the, with the odds. Yeah, it's going to be fun with the prodigal sons of the live tour uh, coming yeah. back and, and joining, wait. you know, coming. I don't out even of like the live tour, but those three guys scare me at Augusta because they're good. Yeah. They, and not only them, but, you know, and I, I don't think either of these guys has a shot at winning, but you've got past champions with Phil Nicholson and Bubba Watson. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got Louis Oosthuizen, who's contended here before. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about Rory's chances? Like he's been playing really well lately, but does he just have too many demons at Augusta National? I don't know that his putting is good enough. Uh, as a ball striker, of course, he's world class. Uh, his approach game, especially with the yardages that he's going to face at Augusta, uh, his approach game hasn't been very good, and his putting has not been good enough. And Augusta will challenge putters. If you're not hitting it close enough to the hole, which Rory has not been lately, uh, then you're really going to struggle to make birdies. 
And so I, I don't like Rory at the Masters, but I do like him at LA Country Club at the US Open in a few months. Yeah, that's fair. And I kind of like, that's why I, I could never pick or bet on Justin Thomas at the, the Masters. That's the same, yeah, same reason. The, the wedge, the approach game hasn't been there and the putting has not been there at all. Yeah, which makes me wonder. I mean, it's been a long time, but like how VJ Singh ever won at Augusta, like it just seems like you have to be at least an average putter to win at that place. And like VJ Singh is probably one of the worst putters ever to have won there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bo, if you could play, because... a, and yes, yes. Um, if you could play around at any course you've never played, would it be Augusta? Without a doubt. Same. Same. Augusta is God's country. And I, I have friends that have been there and walked the grounds. They were lucky enough to get drawn in the ticket lottery, which I've struck out on every year that I've put in for it. Um, but they they say that it's it's so perfect that it's surreal, like you're on a different planet that there's not even like even the pine straw is not out of place. Like all the pine straw is perfectly manicured. The grass is perfectly straight. Like there's not a blade of grass out of place there. Um, I, I just want to completely detach from the rest of the world and go play Augusta one time before I kick the bucket. And uh, yeah, that's, there's no doubt in my mind that that would be the one course that I would play. Oh my God. I would, uh, like, I don't think my wife would want to hear how many thousands of dollars of our, uh, hard earned money I would pay to, to play that course. <laughs> if no, I, it wouldn't and, matter. Uh, I would, yeah. I would, yeah, that's, that's the one thing I could tell my wife for every, every week for the rest of my life is I'm going to play Augusta before I die and it's not going to be cheap. And she'll be like, uh-huh, whatever, uh-huh, whatever. And then the time <laughs> comes, I'm going to be like, here, the time is here. And, it's not it's it's not going to be pretty but it's it's the one thing that i really want and by the way bo i strike out in the ticket lottery every year too but uh my dad finagled me tickets to a practice round one year maybe about 10 12 years ago and so uh, a buddy and i flew down and we wound up actually getting um buying scalped tickets to a second practice round so we were walked around augusta two days And so uh, yeah, there. it is just spectacular. I mean, um, you know, the only the only complaint was that the azaleas weren't in bloom that year. They had like kind of a late <laughs> spring, but um, small complaint indeed. That place is just heavenly. And uh, yeah, it has to be seen to be believed. Let's talk cooking for a minute, Bo. Um, I- I'm guessing McBrayer is a Scottish name, but I found myself wondering the other day whether you're part Italian because you posted a photo of some incredible looking bucatini carbonara that you made. And I know you love to cook and you post some amazing food porn photos on Twitter. And it's always the Italian dishes of yours that leave me salivating like Pavlov's dog. <laughs> yeah, it's smashing that button, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, I, I don't know that I have any Italian in me, uh, maybe on my, my grandma's side because she always said that there were a lot of everything like German, Italian, all the, all the European countries just mixed together. Uh, but most of my family is from Northern Ireland and Scotland. So yeah, the, the, the clan hails from Scotland, the sacred ground. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like you said, I, I love cooking and I cook just about everything. I try to cook place. Like I just put a poll up the other day, uh, asking what region I should cook from next in the Caribbean one. So then I just put up a poll today that people can vote on uh, whether uh, which which Caribbean dish I should I should cook and post for people. 
Uh, so it's it's not just specifically Italian food. I, of course, I love pasta. Pasta is just it's it's a golden food that needs to be respected. I'm a purist when it comes to Italian food. When I cook, I try to do it as traditional as as I can. Nice. What? Uh, yeah. What's the what's the secret to pasta? Like, not it's not it's really just taking care of it, um, making sure that your water is at a, at the right boiling temp with enough salt in it, and then just in just testing it until it's perfectly al dente. And then of course, adding it to the sauce so that the pasta can pick up and soak in all the flavors from the sauce. And then I add pasta water to that, which actually makes the, the sauce emulsify more and become more unified in the dish. Oh man, you are a learned uh, chef here, Bo. And uh, you know, I, I could talk cooking for another hour it with took, you. It took a lot of failure to learn that much. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, quickly, let's move from Italian food to Italian filmmakers. I have to ask this based on something you posted on Twitter uh, not long ago, or maybe it was one of your articles for IBT Media. What do you consider to be Martin Scorsese's greatest film? I mean, I I consider The Departed to be the best film ever made. So I would have to say that one. But the guy's filmography is just legendary. I mean, obviously, you have Goodfellas, you have Casino, the, the two of my favorites. Uh, you can go down the list, but uh, every time I watch The Departed, and because it's my favorite movie, I watch it often, and I still find little Easter eggs that I didn't notice before. And it's it's just when a film shows you something new every time you watch it, and it makes you think about a different angle of the storyline, it's just masterful. It's a masterpiece, and the cast is ridiculous. The 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 names of the the big name actors that that agreed to do that movie and all did a perfect job in that in their own roles. I just can't think of a movie that was made better. Interesting. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it again. I think I've seen it twice, um, but I'm gonna have to watch it a little more carefully to pick up, see if I can pick up some of the Easter eggs. I mean, I love it. I, I thought it was a, a terrific film. Um, you know, to me, it's still like a, a cut below Goodfellas, maybe just personal taste. Um, yeah, but yeah, perfectly gonna, fair, <laughs> perfectly fair. Goodfellas is, is awesome. I will have to give The Departed another another shot, uh, you know, like it a lot. Um, maybe if I watch it again, I'll, I'll truly fall in love with it. All right, Bo, back to football. You're an avid college football guy and dynasty player. You covered the East-West Shrine Bowl in Las Vegas earlier this year. So let's talk rookies. Who's your favorite of the rookie quarterbacks? I have to say at this point, it's Bryce Young still, but CJ Stroud's right there for me. Bryce Young is just an ultimate processor. That's that's what I, I weight the heaviest when I'm evaluating players, especially at the quarterback position, is the one thing that the one parallel between every successful NFL quarterback is the ability to process and react and be on time. And Bryce Young is phenomenal at all those things. So I can't see any reason why he can't be a very successful NFL quarterback, regardless of who picks him. Even the Houston Texans picking him would excite me because he's the kind of player that can raise a franchise to new levels. The size and the body type don't really concern you? Irrelevant. That's fair. Completely irrelevant. Now, a lot of people look at the quarterback position in this year's NFL draft and see a big four 
with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis. I know you consider it to be more of a big three than a big four. Which guy is the odd man out for you and why? It's Will Levis, and yes, he's an impressive physical specimen. He's he's done a lot at Kentucky. But when I look at the body of work, when I look at the same thing that I evaluate very highly for Bryce Young, I evaluate very poorly for Will Levis. He's a very poor processor. He's a very slow-to-react guy in the pocket. He has almost no pocket presence to speak of. And I've seen people say that the Kentucky offense was a quote-unquote pro-style offense. I couldn't disagree more. Uh, A good portion of their pass plays were all tunnel screens, bubble screens, and very completely quick game to the point where Will Levis didn't even have to find the laces when he took the shotgun snap because it was predetermined where he was going. And one of his pick sixes last year came because a cornerback saw the tendency in the play call that they made and jumped to one of the tunnel screens and took it back all the way. And Will Levis had already released the ball when the corner had, had broken and that was it. And anybody who can recognize coverage, which I think Will Levis is terrible at evaluating what kind of coverage they're in because everything was kind of flash carded out for him there. I think that if he gets to a pro style offense, it's going to be a huge learning curve. And I don't know that he has the the brain power to overcome all that, all the deficiencies in his footwork, uh, a spectacular athlete, but I, I have him, a, I have a third grade, a third round grade on him. And I, and I thought I was going to have to move him up after the combine because of how well he would test there. He didn't move the needle at all for me there. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, you know, a, a guy who couldn't unseat Sean Clifford at Penn state, he got um, straight out, straight up beat out for that job by Sean Clifford. It wasn't that he couldn't unseat him. He lost that job to Sean Clifford. Right. And, you know, ask, ask Penn State fans about Sean Clifford. And you're <laughs> Sean not going to get looked pretty good at that Penn State pro day, too, by the way. Did he? Yeah. yeah. Um, like and like, I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to dump on Sean Clifford. Like he did have some some good games for Penn State and he ended his career on a high note. But um, yeah, that doesn't speak well of Levis that he couldn't win the job there. Um now, I'm going to assume that B. John Robinson is your running back one in this class. Who would be the next four running backs on your draft board? That's the tricky part, because after Bijan, what really is there? <laughs> is there life after Bijan? I, I hesitate to say that there is, because when it comes to Bijan, I, I found it difficult to find things that he could improve upon. And that says a lot for a college running back uh, that maybe he won't be as explosive in, a, in on a team that runs primarily zone schemes because he was so adept at gap schemes at Texas. And so I hope that he gets drafted by an offense that runs a lot of gap uh, concepts in the run game. But Jameer Gibbs is so explosive. He is so much fun to watch. And again, size irrelevant. This guy is going to be an absolute weapon for whatever team picks him. Uh, he's the, I think he's the last guy that I would say doesn't really matter on landing spot. Him and Bijan are going to be non landing spot dependent, or I should say landing spot independent. And the rest of these guys, this is a very deep running back class, but I love Zach Charbonnet. I think if Zach Charbonnet finds a zone scheme that, that likes to utilize a single back in multiple facets, he's going to do well there. 
And then I like uh, Tajay Spears out of Tulane. A lot like Gibbs. I think I think people are giving a little bit less credit to Spears because he went to Tulane and not Alabama. But I had a lot of guys kind of like like Sean Tecker. I don't have anywhere near my top five anymore. But last year, before Gibbs transferred from Georgia Tech to Alabama, I had Tucker ahead of Gibbs. But when he went to Alabama and showed out in that system with his receiving talent, I was completely sold on Gibbs. Ty J Spears is somebody to look out for. And then I am a lot higher on, on Kendry Miller out of TCU than a lot of people. I think that size-speed combo, he runs with good lean and pad level. Uh, he's explosive every at every level of the field. He has some things he can work on, of course, but I can see I can see Kendra Miller being a very productive fantasy player in the NFL. Yeah, I had Alex Dunlap of Roster Watch on the show a couple of weeks ago, and Alex was also um, saying that maybe Kendra Miller is getting overlooked a little bit in this running back class. So uh, it's fine; I can get him later. <laughs> <laughs> high praise from two people i really respect so uh you know kenry miller might be one to watch in this rookie class is there anyone else who's like close to cracking the top five for you like just a notch below maybe spears and and miller yeah it's uh izzy abanaconda out of pit he's got the same big playability that kendry has that size speed combo i don't know if izzy's quite as explosive as kendry is but I think he's another guy that's getting disrespected a little bit because the class is so deep and because it's so muddy after Gibbs, uh, you could pretty much prop any of these guys up and it won't really matter until the draft because I do think that all of these guys that are lumped into that same tier are going to be landing spot dependent. Yeah, I have no idea what portion of the draft Izzy is going to go in. Like, I don't know where any of these guys are going to go after Gibbs to be honest. Yeah, it's it's really fair. I mean, um, and I, I think the order that we see these guys going is probably going to surprise us because like you said, I mean, a, a lot of these guys are running uh, landing spot dependent. And I think a lot of teams are going to have very specific things they're looking for and different exactly. guys are going to like fit those holes uh, better than others. So we might have, uh, you know, one guy is our RB five and one guy is our RB 14. And, you know, we might be surprised to see the RB 14 go earlier. Yeah. And, and it's, it's shown time and again, that a lot of these fantasy analysts are a lot sharper than the scouts that are running NFL teams. <laughs> so <laughs> some of the picks that just don't make any sense, like the 49ers last two running back picks that came before later running back. Picks, oh, uh, yeah. were. Like you, you, you trade up to get Trey Sermon. And then of course, Elijah Mitchell comes two rounds later. And I had Mitchell ahead of Sermon. And then same thing last year where they took Ty Davis price. And then they, they ended up adding the other guy later. And I had that guy rated above Davis price. It just, it makes no sense. Some of these scouts are propping up guys that are scheme fits, but they don't actually look, go any deeper than that. They're, they're just looking for a prototype. And they watch a little bit of film and they make their they make their report, they hand it into the GM, and that's it. Like they go through the interview process, and of course everybody's gonna impress you at the combine as long as they're not terrible. It's uh I think that we go a lot deeper than some of these scouts do. It, I really do feel that way. Now I know there's a wide receiver in this year's class who you believe has the potential to be the twenty twenty three version of Christian Watson. Who is it? I actually have two. 
And I, okay. I want to, I wrote about Bryce Ford Wheaton out of West Virginia, a very similar size and uh, speed combination as Christian Watson. He's a better football player than Christian Watson. Christian Watson is a freak athlete, but so is Bryce Ford Wheaton. I think Bryce Ford Wheaton is a, be- a better translating skill set to the NFL than Watson. Watson had a great season last year, but it was mostly because he could just run faster than anybody else. And if you got him in the wrong, if you got the wrong coverage against him, Aaron Rodgers was going to hit him and that was going to be it because he's so fast. Uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton is a little bit more versatile, especially down the field. We saw a lot of Christian Watson yak yards on short routes where he just kind of found a spot and took off. I think Ford Wheaton can run a lot more routes than Watson and take take a lot more, uh, put a lot more stress on the defense in a different way. Even though they're similar builds and speed, I just think they're different players. And I think Bryce Ford Wheaton has more upside as a professional wide receiver long term than Christian Watson does. So that's somebody to look out for later in your rookie drafts that is getting absolutely no attention. The other guy is A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest. Ooh, big dude. Big. I met him in Vegas at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton was there too. These two guys, and plus Justin Shorter of Florida, who's a little bit lower down on my rankings. These guys are big, they're physical, and they play mean. Like They're out there taking safeties. They're taking defensive back soul out there, and they want to, they want to show them up at every play. Every opportunity, these big, fast, wide receivers are looking like they all reminded me of like the Terrell Owens out of Chattanooga. Very raw, but so much potential, so much athleticism. And the league is just always looking for more of those guys. Yeah, and this is a, a receiver class that is, you know, kind of heavy on the slot types. The yeah, smaller... small at the top. A lot of the top guys are really small. Uh, JSN, of course, is normal size, but the other the other top guys are really just quick twitch, short guys, and so some of these bigger guys are gonna sh- they're gonna be pretty impressive, I think, at the next level, especially on the outside where a lot of the like the New York Giants. How many slot receivers do the New York Giants have? <laughs> right, right, yeah, they could use a big six five monster like At Perry. Was Kenny McIntosh's slow 40 time at the combine disqualifying for you? Like, would you draft him as a top 40 rookie pick? Because I was sort of interested in him until he ran, and it was just too reminiscent of, like, I don't know, Isaiah Spiller. Um, I think I already disqualified him. (laughs) Yeah, he looked slow on tape. He, I mean, he reminded me of, uh, of, uh, Kyron Williams that the Rams picked last year. Mm, yeah. A lot of production, a lot of production, good, good uh, profile, good at everything, but not great at anything. And then like you watch tape on, on Kyron, he's just looks slow. You watch tape on Macintosh. He looks slow and then he runs slow and you're like, Oh, that confirms that he's slow. And I wasn't really on him in Spiller's case. I was just, I was kind of, I was a little bit downtrodden because his tape is so good. This is a multifaceted running back that was a little bit banged up going into the combine, still tried to tough it through and ended up costing him dearly. I still think that there's hope for Isaiah Spiller because he's just a really good all around back. But uh, Kenny McIntosh, I had pretty far down anyway, because I didn't really see that explosive quality that he would need because he's not the biggest guy either. Right. But um, yeah, I think Kyron Williams is a really good comp for Kenny McIntosh where, you know, like, sort of 
an intriguing type of game. And maybe you think he could be like a PPR asset at the next level, but then you see that 40 time and you're just like, Oh no. Special teams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One last guy to ask you about Bo. Uh, what's your take on Kayshawn booty? Like any interest in him in dynasty drafts, if you could get him at say three Oh seven or three Oh eight. Yes, but with the caveat that if I have more than one third round pick, I'd probably take him with my second one. Like if I if I had a one third round pick, I'm not taking him. But if I had multiple third round picks, I'll take a flyer on him because we've seen what he's capable of doing when he's firing on all cylinders and actually motivated to play well. Uh, we're talking about one of the most talented prospects coming out of high school that we've ever seen. A really productive freshman. And then I think what got into his head was that he lost motivation to prepare for games and make himself better. And that's a huge red flag for any football player, regardless of position is guys that don't get better. It's like, do you want the next Ben Simmons of the NFL? I don't think so. Like Ben Simmons, an amazing college player, but we got to the league and he never got better. He was always the same guy. I think Keishon Butte has a motivation problem. And I don't know that I want to take too many shots on a guy because chances are he might not grow out of that. Yeah, Keishon Booty was just so electrifying with the ball in his hands that that COVID year, the 2020 year. And it was just um, like if you had told, I think I might have said this earlier on this show, but uh, if you had told me in 2020 that this guy was going to be like slipping into the third or even the fourth round of rookie drafts when he came out, I, I just couldn't have possibly fathom that i thought he was going to be a surefire first rounder it's uh it's extraordinary uh ladies and gentlemen that's bo mcbrayer of fantasy pros betting pros and the ibt network find him on twitter at bo underscore mcbig time and do yourself a favor get yourself some of the hot box batch sauce uh you won't be disappointed Bo, thank you for coming back on with me. Uh, good luck with the Masters bets and enjoy the azaleas. Yeah, my pleasure, Fitz. Thanks for having me on. That's all for this week. My thanks once again to my fantasy pros and betting pros colleague, Bo McBrayer. Find him on Twitter at Bo underscore McBigTime. The producer of Fitz on Fantasy is Mr. Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. The music is provided by the legendary Milwaukee ska band International Jet Set. And of course, my sincere thanks to all of you for listening to and supporting the show. Please drop by again next week when I will be joined by another great guest. Until then, so long, everyone.